Hello everyone. My name is Charles, the lead pastor here. Welcome to Zoom Sunday service here at the river. We're so glad you could join us today. Since the new year, we've been going through the Bible covering all the major characters. And last couple of weeks, we've talked about Moses because he's such a major character in the Bible. Today, we continue. Uh, in particular, how Moses failed to enter the promised land right before they all got to go in. Isn't that sad? Moses did not get to enjoy the promised land, even though he was responsible for getting the people of faith out of slavery. But at the doorstep, right before they all got to go in, God bans Moses from entering the promised land. Why? How did this happen? The lessons from this episode can teach us what can prevent us from entering our promised land, that zone of thriving that we all want. So let's take a look. Numbers chapter 20. The whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. This problem of not enough water that actually happened before at a place called Mount Horeb. At that time, Moses brought water out of a rock by striking it with his staff. Now, they are at a place called Kadesh. And this time, God wants Moses to take the staff to the rock, but not to use it. Speak to the rock, not strike it. You see, by this time, the staff has done so many miracles, people looked at it with awe. Moses performed all the miracles in Egypt with this staff. Remember the ten plagues? It all happened through this staff. And what parted the Red Sea? This staff. It is one powerful staff. Many people probably thought Moses' power came from this staff. That's understandable. We often believe our power comes from what's in our hands, our position, our money, what is tangible in our hands. So it's full of significance that God wants Moses to speak to the rock instead of using his staff. I believe God wanted to make it clear it's not about the staff. Don't make faith mechanical. Yes, the staff has been the main instrument of God's power, but it's not about the staff. It's about God. 
But human beings are always drawn to the tangible, visible things like the staff or the rules of the Bible. Good instruments of God's grace, yes, but they can turn deadly if they end up becoming idols we look to instead of God. Unfortunately, Moses fails to understand how important this is. Just like many Christians today focused on mechanics, there are so many teachings and books about how to get God to move. Pray this long, fast that much, memorize the Bible, find the right guru, then you will get miracles. If you do it right, then you will be blessed. That's not the heart of faith. That's treating God like magic, focusing on the mechanics. That won't get us into the promised land. So let's continue with the passage. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels! Must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. You see, by this time, Moses is just sick and tired of all the grumbling, complaining, ungrateful people of faith. So in his anger, he raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Do you remember how God said, speak to the rock, not strike it? It is really important that Moses doesn't use the staff so that the focus gets put back on God rather than the mechanical instruments of God's grace. But Moses fails to heed. Did you notice how Moses had to strike the rock twice? Before, at Mount Horeb, one strike was enough to bring the water out. But this time, no water comes out after the first strike. I believe this was a chance for Moses to stop. God was giving Moses time to reconsider, a chance to turn from mechanical approach to faith, a pause Moses could have used to reflect, repent, course correct. For him to consider the reality that the staff did not work this time. He struck the rock with the miracle staff, but the water doesn't come out. The awesome power he has in his hands that always worked before, it does not work this time. Has that ever happened to you? Something that has always worked stops working. Maybe your body fails on you. Maybe something happens unexpected, stops working. What do we do then? Even the most powerful among us, if nothing else, time will catch up to us. Aging and death comes to all human beings. We all get humbled at one point or another. When you run up against reality, what do you do? Rage? Work double hard? Live in denial? In this case, Moses persists in using the staff. 
he strikes the rock again the second time. He could have said to himself, Ah, it's not working. Ah, I remember God said, speak to the rock. Let's course correct. But no, he insists on using the staff. For Moses, it's the staff or bust. Now, this is more than a rash action out of anger. He is determined to use the staff. And he adds, must we bring you water? Where is God in that? It's Moses and Aaron and the staff. You see, church leaders like Moses can often fall into this trap. It's our Bible knowledge. It's the sacraments. It's what's in our hands and in our heads that can bring you into your promised land. That's just not true. Salvation belongs to the living God and God alone. Now, God does not shame Moses before the people. Water gushes out. Let's continue with the passage. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Holy means to be set apart. Moses did not set apart the living God as the unique source of salvation. And the consequence is, seems hard, it's sad, but Moses does not get to enter the promised land. There are powerful lessons here. We cannot enter our promised land if we approach faith mechanically with what has worked in the past. It's an obvious point from this passage, but unfortunately, many if not most Christians fail to understand this lesson. I've been preaching about this recently. In today's American Christianity, it's the mechanical approach, formulaic approach, to live up to biblical rules, focused on individual rights and responsibilities, obsessed with sexual purity and personal integrity. Good things, no doubt. No argument there. But that's not the heart of faith. You can find the same things in Greek or Confucian philosophy, in any number of religions. What is unique, what is holy about Christian faith is the cross and the agape love, unconditional love that the cross represents. That is the heart of faith. So our moral vision needs to revolve around unconditional love. That gives us the flexibility to ask what works, what leads to welfare of others today. Rather than getting stuck on traditional values and rules that may have worked in the past just like the staff, but mechanically applying Selective passages from the Bible to reinforce our pre-existing prejudices and biases? That's no good. Sadly, there is just too much willful ignoring of facts on the ground today in favor of mechanical insistence on the traditional way. For example, the women issue, the women cannot lead in church issue, the complementarianism issue, Catholic Church prohibits women from becoming priests. And since all sacraments are performed by priests alone, 
and salvation comes from sacraments, according to Catholic doctrine. Well, where does that put women? Salvation comes from the hands of men exclusively, never women. What do you think that does to the culture, the mentality of Catholic countries? And for conservative Protestant evangelical churches, salvation comes from the Bible. And conservative churches prohibit women from teaching the Bible. Even in this city, the largest Protestant church in Manhattan does not allow women to become a teaching pastor. Since salvation comes from knowing the Bible in this faith group, what do you think that does to the group mentality, the group culture? Have you heard of Beth Moore? She is a very popular Bible teacher who has millions of followers. She just left the Southern Baptist Convention, the denomination she belonged to all her life. But she wrote a scathing commentary as she left about just how patient she has been inside a denomination that does not believe she should be teaching the Bible to people. Something she does extraordinarily well for millions of people. What a quandary, huh? Reality says she's doing a great job teaching the Bible. She's spreading the faith like wildfire. But the rules say she is disobeying God in rebellion, in sin, even though her fruit is so good. What a tension! She finally quit. It's a wonder she stayed in for so long in such a toxic environment. This is a good example of mechanical application of what was done in the past. What is the result? America has failed to become the promised land. Christians in America have failed to lead the country with clear moral vision. Frankly, it's been traumatic for a while now in America. Riots in the capital, led by people with Jesus flags? Heartbreaking! Anti-Asian hate crimes, police shootings. Did you know a thousand people die every year from police shootings? That's three people a day. And 40% of the victims are black Americans. And I don't want to just blame the police because we live in a country with so many guns. If I were the police, I would be super nervous and trigger-happy too. Human beings, when they are under extreme stress and fear, we make bad decisions. And we live in such a tense and anxious country today. There's mass shooting, police shooting every week. And the country does nothing except to offer prayers, lip service. After the Sandy Hook, when 27 little kids got killed, I really thought, there would be some meaningful change, a ban on assault weapons, at least, so that one crazy person can't kill so many people at any one time. Instead, it went the other way. Politicians passed laws to make it ever easier to get guns, even automatic weapons. Did you know that the Congress passed a law in 2005 to protect gun manufacturers from lawsuits? What industry in America are immune from lawsuits? Why do guns of all things, instruments of death, why do they get such preference? And so much support for all of this comes from Christians. 
Charles Blow is a black columnist at New York Times. He's a powerful voice for black Americans. His latest opinion piece was about how our society has become savage. Indeed, what else explains such indifference to so much death and suffering? Interestingly, he doesn't blame the police for all the police shootings on black people. Rather, he blames the nature of our society and lays out a convincing case. What is so sad about all this is, Christians seem largely responsible for all this. Anti-mask, anti-vaccination, pro-guns, anti-gender equality. What is the church doing? Ignoring how the guns cause so much trauma. Uh, it's guns, God, and country. Instead, all the focus is on gay weddings. How, do we, how did we come to this? What happened to the vision of a country set on a shining hill? It's a mockery. It's, it's, it's worthy of mockery by other countries. Christianity has become a force for misogyny, racism, and gun violence in this country. It is so confusing. And I believe it's because Christians have lost sight of our mandate from Jesus by insisting on following the rules from the past, mechanically insisting on our rights, we need to recover the clear moral vision of unconditional love just as Jesus taught. So let me throw out some practical suggestions. First, respect the reality in front of you. Don't get caught up in abstract principles and rules from the past. Moses should have respected the reality of water not coming out. Stop insisting on using the staff. That's getting stuck on what used to work rather than following the living God into the present and future. Christians today are much in the similar position, insisting on abstract rules of the Bible from the past rather than following the living God into what helps human beings thrive today in reality. This answers the question I am often asked about the moral vision of unconditional love. I am often asked, isn't the rules of the Bible the guide for human thriving? Isn't it a good idea to follow God's rules for the welfare of humanity? Because isn't love sometimes tough? If the Bible says LGBTQ lifestyle is not part of God's order, shouldn't we follow that guidance for the benefit of all people? If the Bible says women should not lead or teach, should we not follow that rule? Because that conforms to God's order, and that's what will lead to human welfare. And traditional Christians point to higher rates of mental disorder or homelessness rates among the LGBTQ community, and they feel justified in saying, well, they don't do well, do they? That proves we need to discourage LGBTQ lifestyle, keep people from becoming gay, as if it's a choice for most people. But this is exactly what Christians did to justify slavery. They pointed to how ignorant and uncivilized the slaves were as a justification to argue that they were only fit to be slaves. Do you see the circular reasoning there? Oppress the people and, and point out the symptoms of oppression like homelessness, 
and use that to justify your oppression. It is perverse. It's ignoring the reality in front of you in favor of abstract principles. Don't do that. Don't ignore the suffering of real people in front of you. Let reality change your thinking. Don't get stuck on the correct way of doing things. If you strike the rock and it doesn't work, rethink. Be flexible. Sometimes striking the rock with the staff works. Sometimes speaking to the rock works. The point is the welfare of the real people in front of you. Condemning gay people, forcing gay conversion therapies, it only leads to more suffering. Decades of reality experience have proven this. Finally, put unconditionality front and center. Judge everything by whether it puts some people over other people. That's the most important principle. It undergirds every rule for Christians. For example, why is stealing a sin? Because that's putting yourself over the person you are stealing from. When women are prohibited from leadership positions, it's been shown that does harm. So do not ever discriminate between men and women or any other category. There is no male or female in Christ Jesus. Discrimination is a sin of the first order. So many teachings of Jesus point this sin as the worst sin that will send you to hell. That's why treating men and women differently is such a mortal sin. It's a first order sin that will lead to savagery and hell in the end. So examine your heart to root out all biases and prejudices because Christian faith Our mission as Christians is all about spreading unconditional love. So don't put any conditions. Be very careful about categories that categorize and make things conditional. And that puts different people in different categories with differential treatments. Look around you. Actively work towards eliminating all discrimination and prejudice everywhere. That's what it means to become the salt and the light of this world. At home, at work, wherever we are, let's live by unconditional love, the cross. That is what makes us Christian. Amen. Now, I would love to discuss all this with you, so please stick around for our Zoom Sunday discussions at 11.45. I just love seeing your faces and interacting with you. So please make an effort to join us in our Zoom live services. Starts at 11 on Sundays or our weekly Zoom groups. God bless everyone. Bye.